Good morning and welcome into your weekend edition of the Orange and Brown Report podcast. I am your host, as always, Jared Mueller. You can get a hold of me on Twitter at Jared K. Mueller. That's J-A-R-E-D-K-M-U-E-L-L-E-R. Hope everybody is doing well today on this Saturday. Going to be a cool weekend, but that's okay. It feels a little fall-like, a little spring-like. But hopefully some um, productive days for you, relaxing days for you, whichever you are looking for. As we were going into this weekend, I actually had a plan to, to record this podcast and basically have a very similar title. And then Sheldon Richardson was released on Friday and it actually opened up the conversation in a different way, but really leading us down the same track. So let's start there. Let's talk about Sheldon Richardson. All off season. We've wondered what would happen with Richardson. $12 million contract, no more years on his contract, very little dead money if they cut him. I think it's $1.5 million. A good player, if, if we're being very honest, probably a player that's worth closer to the $6, $7 million range than a $12 million range. But for the Browns, for whatever reason, whether it was Sheldon Richardson was not willing to take a pay cut, whether it was Sheldon Richardson, ah, Sheldon Richardson was not willing to take an extension that would lower his cap hit and lower his kind of total overall pay, or if they just didn't see the value, Sheldon Richardson is currently no longer a Cleveland Brown. I say currently because the reality is, is like many things, it is possible that Richardson could return. It's unlikely at this point in time. Uh, he posted on Instagram how he was, it was just starting to feel like home and felt really embraced. You know, all of that good stuff. Uh, and so the fact that the Browns cut him and didn't restructure, I'm sorry, not restructure, renegotiate his contract like they did last year with Olivier Vernon, like they did last year with Chris Hubbard, tells us that it's unlikely that Richardson will return. And it'll be interesting to see what his future contract is. He played well for the Browns, but he wasn't dominating. He was an important cog for the Browns. But again, he wasn't a player. I mean, at some level, he's similar to the Jarvis Landry kind of conversation that a lot of people have about his contract and how much he's getting paid for what he does. That's not to minimize Sheldon Richardson. Like Landry, Richardson has been consistent. Uh, He played in all 16 games last year, 2019, 2018, uh, all 16 games. 17-16, he played in 15 games uh, for Seattle and New York, respectively. Uh, Only one season has he played less than 15 games, and that was in 2015 where he only played 11. Played in all 16 games in five of his eight years in the, the league. Two of the other 15 games, and then one for 11. So a lot of consistency when it comes to health. Looking at just pure um, statistics, 64 combined tackles last year, five tackles for loss, 10 quarterback hits, and then four and a half sacks. So when you hear those numbers, you don't hear $12 million, right? You don't hear $10 million. You don't hear $8 million. Especially when you look at those tackles for losses and those quarterback hits, those numbers are are not overwhelming. The year prior with the Browns, similar number, 62 tackles, three sacks, four tackles for loss, eight quarterback hits. You're not talking about a player, at least statistically, that is making these huge impactful plays. But he is important. It's important to have a quality player on the inside. Three techniques who can be disruptive are important 
in the NFL. So we jump over to Pro Football Focus. And at Pro Football Focus, overall, they had him as a 71.1 defensive grade. His run defense was a 67.8, so he was a better run defender than he was a pass rusher because as a pass rusher, he was a 65.4. Now, looking at their little color schemes, he's a light green uh, for pass rush and run defense. He's a solid green overall, but let's look at what he looks like compared to other defensive tackles or inside defensive linemen, which is kind of how Pro Football Focus looks at them. So looking at overall interior defensive linemen, The Pro Football Focus has Sheldon Richardson tied for the 47th best interior defensive lineman in the NFL with overall grade. And then we click over here to run defense and we try to find Sheldon Richardson. And he is, again, down near in that 40 range. They don't change the numbers uh, when when you do that. They keep the overall number on the left-hand side. But just kind of looking, he's a little higher than 47, but still kind of in that 40th range when it comes to run defense. And then we get down to, uh, as a pass rusher, uh, you're looking uh, down almost to 50, so he's back, you know, about 46th overall. So, as a defensive tackle, again, we look at the statistics, we look at Pro Football Focus's grades, and then we look on film, and we see a player who is consistent. He is where he needs to be. Every once in a while, makes big plays. Uh, as a solid player for the Cleveland Browns, a solid player, I guess we found out is not worth $12 million, especially when you start to look at things like age, right? So as a player, uh, you know, he's a big guy. He will turn uh, 31 uh, during the season. So the Browns are also probably betting that as he gets older, as a really big guy, his skills are going to diminish. And so even this season, his skills are going to diminish. And again, that is an assumption We obviously know that, but it's important to also realize that the Browns used him a ton last year. He was the fourth most uh, snaps for an interior defensive player, 920. Of those 920, again, according to Pro Football Focus, 591 of them, he was asked to rush the passer. So he wasn't asked to take on blocks. Uh, Obviously, it talks a lot about who... uh, the other what the other team is doing as well but his primary job in those 920 sta- or 20 snaps was to rush the passer and he was not able to hit the quarterback a lot um I don't have the quarterback pressure numbers right in front of me but not a lot of quarterback pressures not a lot of quarterback hits uh not a lot of tackles for loss those are signs of a player who is doing fine but I think the Browns are looking at 920 snaps going uh this guy's probably going to be wearing down at his age Above him, interestingly enough, in Dominican Sue, uh, also an aging veteran, older than uh, Sheldon Richardson, Darren Payne, a younger guy, Aaron Donald uh, is Aaron Donald. That guy is ripped. Jeffrey Simmons, a younger guy, Jaron Reed, a little bit of a younger guy, Jonathan Allen, a young guy, and then a veteran, Cam Hayward, uh, is a few spots down at 866. So uh, almost almost 60 more snaps uh, than Cameron Hayward from the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he is used a ton. He is a little bit older. He is a bigger guy. He has not missed a lot of games. And and while that's a positive when you're looking at the, in the positive ledger, when you're looking at a body that could break down, Sheldon Richardson hasn't missed a lot of snaps, hasn't missed a lot of games in the NFL. He, his snap count, if we think about like pitch count in the, in major league baseball, 
his snap count is probably relatively high, and especially last year, coming off of 920 snaps, I think it's fair to say that the Browns, at this point, are betting that an aging Sheldon Richardson coming off a lot of snaps is not going to perform the way they would want for $12 million, and maybe not even for eight, maybe not even for five or six. So yes, money does play a role. Money plays a big role. If Sheldon Richardson was making $3 million, maybe he doesn't get cut. But it seems like at some level, the Browns wanted to make sure they had some talent on the defensive line. We know that now they've added Malik Jackson. They've added Jadavion Clowney. They've added Tack McKinley. All three of those players either do with Malik Jackson or can with McKinley and Jadavion Clowney move inside. So now the three interior players are Malik Jackson, Andrew Billings, and Jordan Elliott. With the ability to move Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney, Tack McKinley inside, and we'll see where they go from here. The big question is, and as the title says, is this where the aggression ends? Before I get into all of that and why I use that specific term, let's pause for our sponsors. So for the idea of, is this where the aggression ends, we have to go back to when Andrew Barry was hired. Andrew Barry was hired as the Browns general manager, youngest general manager in NFL history. And in his introductory press conference, he used the term aggressive when it came to how he planned to attack free agency. And at the time, if we all remember, there were a lot of questions about whether Andrew Barry would be Sashi Brown part two. Would, because that's who he worked for in Cleveland. That's who brought him to Cleveland before he left for Philly for one year. There were a ton of questions. Now, a year later, we all kind of are like, oh, Andrew Barry's Andrew Barry, right? Analytics, whatever version he uses is a lot better than Sashi Brown's. Or the roster is a lot better so he can do things differently, right? But he used the word aggressive. And then I'm actually reading from the Cleveland Browns website themselves. Um, it came up again at the combine. Barry made it clear his aggressive approach goes beyond one area of roster building. Direct quote from Andrew Barry, when I say aggressive, I mean a couple things. From a macro perspective, it means de- being deliberate of attacking every avenue of player acquisition. Last year, the Browns were aggressive. The Browns signed Jack Conklin and Austin Hooper, Case Keenum as the backup quarterback, uh, a ton of guys in one-year contracts to kind of fill in gaps, Kevin Johnson, Andrew Billings, Carl Joseph, uh, BJ Goodson, Andrew Sandejo, uh, I think I missed a couple, but very aggressive. And then in the draft, Jedrick Wills. Um, so the real, real question before the Sheldon Richardson was, does, a, does his aggressiveness only go to free agency now with Sheldon Richardson being cut the question is is this where the aggression ends are the Browns done in free agency did they add some good quality players right John Johnson Troy Hill Tack McKinley Jadavion Clowney um, Walker linebacker Ranger right they've added some really high quality players And they just cut Sheldon Richardson, which while we just talked about wasn't worth or wasn't playing up to $12 million, was likely to have uh, some come down from 920 snaps and and not missing many games throughout his eight-year career, right? Missing a total of two, uh, let's just go with seven games, right? So a lot of high snaps. We've talked about that, but a still quality player. Is this where the aggression ends? Is Andrew Barry very aggressive to start free agency or early in free agency? And then 
is he done? Right? Is Sheldon Richardson the last straw? Is it been adding, 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 adding? Now we're cutting. Because in reality, while many people would love to have Terrence Mitchell back and, you know, some of those kind of players, there's a few, but not many, that have walked away. This is really, at some level, the big name that Andrew Barry has, has, has moved on from. Has said, you know what, not worth it. So this is the first time that Cleveland Browns fans are looking at Andrew Barry and going, why, why, why aren't you adding more? It's a fir- one of the first experiences Cleveland Browns fans are going to have of good teams where good teams have to get rid of aging veterans, have to at some point let marginally good players go. Terrence Mitchell is probably a good example of that. A good player, not a great player, but they have to let those types of players go because you can't pay everybody, right? The New Orleans Saints are an example. You cannot pay everybody. You just... You can't. So oftentimes that means the the middle class of a team is is gutted a little bit, right? So they you know they just sign Emmanuel Sanders last year, cut him this year. There's a lot of moves that they've made. They're an example of you're going to have the top end players, right? You're going to have for them for years it was Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, um, uh, their defensive line, their offensive line. I mean they've just got a lot of quality players, but the middle class kind of gets kind of squeezed out. So it's it's young guys, cheap guys, and then it's the high-end guys, right? It's the, the guys getting paid a lot. And for the Browns, the guys getting paid a lot, that's going to be a lot of homegrown guys, right? Joel Batonio's already getting paid well. Jack Conklin was brought in, paid well. J.C. Treader's paid well for a center. Miles Garrett got his extension. Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry getting paid well. Denzel Ward, Baker Mayfield, Wyatt Teller, Nick Chubb. Those are guys that will be looking for. That's kind of their big four that have an extension window right now that they could be moving to try to sign. So at some level, it kind of squeezes things out. So is this where aggression ends for Andrew Barry? Does aggression end? Is he not going to look to Adam Maurice Hurst, who no one claimed, which is maybe a little concerning about his health and interesting to me that no one claimed him his contract uh, is a rookie contract from the fifth round I believe so not very expensive no one claimed him Uh, the fact that no one claimed Arden Key is not surprising I wouldn't have drafted the guy Uh, there's a lot of off the field stuff as well as on the field stuff that makes that very uh, just a difficult sell I guess would be the best way to say that but no one claims Maurice Hurst Why, why didn't the Browns he's not getting paid much he was their best, Raiders' best defensive lineman um, last couple years. He destroyed the Browns. It's a move that doesn't make sense to me, right? Why not add a resource? Maybe they're still looking at that, right? But are, are they done? Are they done with adding players? You know, could this be a place for a Geno Atkins? Could, you know, Quan Short, I, I, whoever is still available on the defensive tackle market, is this, is, are they going to move in that direction, right? There was no corresponding move. Right. The Browns could have made uh, whatever signing, if they had a specific signing, they could have made that signing and then released Sheldon Richardson. Uh, maybe they're leaving a little space so that it doesn't, you know, people aren't going, oh, you know, not paying enough attention to the Sheldon Richardson moving on, respecting the veteran, and then uh, respecting whoever they bring in as, hey, this isn't a Sheldon Richardson replacement. Whatever it is, 
Or is this where aggression ends, right? So it's the same question as we move forward. By the way, where aggression ends, somewhere is a combination of um, where the sidewalk ends and for whom the bell tolls. There's just something in there that's kind of combining in my head for that. So just so you know how my random brain works and connects words and phrases and sentences and stuff, they're in my head like that. So um, where the aggression ends, because last year the, the aggression ended. Right. And I'm not saying he obviously the Browns ended up, you know, 11 and uh, five in the in the regular season, won the playoff game and then obviously lost in against the Kansas City Chiefs in a very close game. So we're not questioning what the results was, but it looks like similar to last year. Is it possible the aggression ends early in free agency? Now, Jadavion Clowney, because of his health, took a little while to kind of get that going. But if he was completely healthy, most likely he would have been signed early. So for Andrew Barry, much like last year, is the, is the aggression over for the offseason, right? Last year in the draft, his major move was moving down. He didn't move down much, not a stressful situation, not one of those, oh my goodness, gave up so much talent. And he added a third round pick. Like, listen, if you can add a third round pick just by moving down, I think it was 12, 14 slots, somewhere in that area. Like you make that move all day, every day, unless there is just that one guy. But the odds are that there's not just that one guy kind of hanging out there that you can't lose out on. So you make that move all day, every day to add another uh, top 100 pick. This is different than dropping down 20 spots in the first round. This is different than trading out of a round to get a higher round next year. This is moving down and basically trading two one high pick for two high picks and and so Andrew Barry should do that move but we didn't see a lot of aggressiveness in the draft we didn't see a lot of aggressiveness after the draft right adding Ronnie Harrison for a fifth round pick is a good move again but it's not a big move it's just little moves after kind of early in free agency so Again, we're trying to understand patterns. We're trying to understand how Andrew Barry and how the Browns front office, along with the coaching staff of Kevin Stefanski, is going to work. And it looks like when Andrew Barry, at least so far, we're you know, a year and a couple months in to his reign as the Browns general manager, it looks like so far when Andrew Barry says being aggressive, he means I'm going to be aggressive. And then I'm not. And that's okay. This isn't... I want to make sure we really, you guys really hear me. This isn't about right or wrong. First, it's about expectations. For fans, we need to try as a media, part of our goal is to try to help with expectations, help to understand kind of how things are going. Similarly, it's why while I love mock draft simulators, I actually think they're a setup for fans. I think they're a setup for media as well. And I love them. And Steven and I and Jake and I, you know, we love doing them, but they're a setup at some level because when you can see the board, right? When you know who's going to be available or have a good idea who's going to be available, when you can manipulate picks and trades and all that kind of stuff, uh, and you're looking, everybody's working kind of off the same board and just all that kind of stuff. It's a setup because the idea that you and I kind of believe someone's going to be there or not going to be there or whatever, especially this year, and I put it out on Twitter, Twitter's killing us this morning, not really being available. Um, I put it out on Twitter, you know, this year, there's not a lot of information available without a combine. The combine is both a wealth of information and the start of tons of information flow back and forth, generally between agents and media and media and teams. 
So the conversation starts there. There's a lot of information, whether it's uh, official, unofficial at the bar, at the restaurant, uh, at the J-Dub, whatever it is, (laughs) there is just a lot of information that flows. And then those conversations continue. Well, this year without a combine, those conversations didn't start and the conversations really haven't continued. And so it's, there are some pieces of information, even with the pro days, the limitations, all that stuff, there is some information out there, but there's not a lot. It's not just that I don't have a lot of information, which is very accurate, but it's a lot of information is not out there in the media. You don't see the rumors. You don't see the, the connectivity. We don't know all of the different people who visited, you know, we don't know any of that and yet we're looking at these mock draft simulators and thinking this that or the other so again when we talk about Andrew Barry and where the aggression ends this isn't judgment it's trying to set expectations we we get excited you know Hooper and Conklin and Case Keenum and then a bunch of one-year deals right and then this year obviously John Johnson Troy Hill Tack McKinley Jadavion Clowney Malik Jackson now we cut Sheldon Richardson right so again it's trying to set expectations there are a lot of people wondering does cutting Sheldon Richardson mean a trade is coming does it mean there's a signing coming does it mean uh barmore is going to be the pick at number 26 or they're going to move up for him i think it's setting expectations is really important and then the other is just to have an understanding right we're trying to learn much of what our job is besides helping set expectations and inform is trying to learn and trying to process and i'm an external processor and so processing out loud that i don't know based on his experience based on the very limited amount of experience we have with Andrew Barry, I don't know if he's going to trade up. I also don't know if he's going to trade down significantly, but I don't know if he's going to trade up. It makes sense. There's not a lot of roster spots available for the Cleveland Browns. So it does make sense, but does aggression end? Is aggression already over for Andrew Barry and the Cleveland Browns in the off season? Because we know from an analytical perspective, the more bites you have at the apple, the higher your odds are of hitting. And so three picks in the first two rounds instead of two picks is better four picks in the first three rounds which they currently have is better than three and so on and so forth now i don't think he values a fifth round pick just adding that for no reason so maybe moving his, you know, their later picks to move up might make some sense to them. That might be something they're willing to do. Maybe moving some picks next year might be something they're willing to do. But again, from an analytics perspective, moving future picks actually undervalues the picks. Because if, if I would trade you a fourth round pick this year, next year I have to give you a third. Well, the player talent is still very high. It's, there's a one round difference in the player talent. But just because it's a year later... I have to give you a better pick. So it'll be interesting. In the end, this podcast title and general concept was was planned for today. And then Sheldon Richardson was cut on Friday. And all of a sudden, we have more information. We have a little bit of ammunition to ask the question of Andrew Barry. Is this where aggression ends in the offseason? Or are we just getting started? We'll find out. We'll find out. We'll be at the NFL Draft covering it all for you as the part of the Orange and Brown Report. And we will have it all up on the site. Make sure you go to the OBR.com, a part of the 24-7 Sports uh, Network. Make sure you're checking out all the work there. So the OBR.com, at the OBR when Twitter gets back up. 
like us on Facebook, uh, go to our YouTube channel. Jake has been doing some great work, uh, pretty regular podcast now, um, and video podcast, uh, as well as Barry and Fred, you know, they have their Wednesday night, uh, OBR kind of radio show on YouTube. Um, so there's just a lot of good stuff going on at the OBR.com, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all of those things. Please make sure you're following along. Uh, we, we try to bring you the best of the best of the best that we can. We try to help you see the game differently, understand what's going on in Cleveland, everything that we can to help you out to enjoy your Cleveland Browns as their Super Bowl window opens, folks. Their Super Bowl window opens with Andrew Barry being aggressive, but is this where aggression ends? As always, this is where I end. Please, 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 please take care of yourself, take care of others, and go Browns.